where is Pastor Ross? And we'll get to who this guy is in a minute. So uh, here is Pastor Ross, Pastor Jim, if we kill the lights, and Pastor Adam, three amigos in Israel. I just talked to Pastor Ross a couple hours ago. We did a quick video chat from his hotel room. Uh, the view was, it was just, you know, Israel, Mount of the Dome, place where Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, nothing big. So they're really roughing it over there. Uh, these are the ladies on the trip. There's 25 people in all, counting the three pastors. Uh, they're above Israel on the Mount of Olives, which you may have heard of. I don't know. Some people have. Uh, that wall back there is uh, a wall of Jerusalem built, I believe, by the Turks um, in the, uh, after Christ, after the Jerusalem had been destroyed once. This is a view again, roughing it, out their hotel room of the sun rising over the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of like camping. Uh, a trip like this would not be the same without a Pastor Adam shot. This is Beth Shan. It uh, is only in one story, I believe. It was uh, literally just referred to during the death and burial of King Saul. This is Joppa, or Joppa, depending on which side of America you come from. Uh, we're probably all pronouncing it wrong anyway, so don't stress. Uh, you might re remember this story from, or this place from such stories as Jonah and the whale. Tabitha being raised from the dead, that was a good one. And personally, one of my favorite, being a Gentile, this was where Peter was when he had the vision from the Lord of the blanket coming from heaven. And at the end of the vision, the Lord had impressed upon him that it was time for the good news and the gospel to go forth to Gentiles, like 99% of you and me, which is a pretty big, a pretty big piece of, of our life. Now, Pastor Ross couldn't be here, but I got the next best thing. Not to be outdone by our own Pastor Jim. That poor lady. <laughs> so I'm hoping she's not one of ours. <sighs> okay, so that's where they are. 
everything's great. They are uh, touring more of Jerusalem today. Uh, they will be back on this week, Thursday. Pastor Ross will be here Sunday, so come back to hear Pastor Ross. Today, not so much. Now, on a side note, Wednesday night, we're going to be hearing from our own Pastor Nathan. Uh, I was talking to Pastor Nathan today about the passage and whatnot he's going through Wednesday, and I'm actually going to try to get some people to fill uh, my spot in kids' church so that I can sit in and receive the word that he's bringing because it sounds very encouraging. Um, I would encourage all of you to come out Wednesday night, whether it's your normal thing or not, and receive that word with me. It's not often that we get to hear from Pastor Nathan, uh, and when we do, it is always uh, a very encouraging word from the Lord. Now, on to other things like me. Who is this guy? I used to have to do this a little more, um, but Ross, uh, Ross and I thought I probably should do it anyway since I believe this, uh, some of you may have never even seen me. Um, I really don't come out of kids' church often. Um, uh, you know, when God puts you somewhere, you're, you, you, you go where God tells you to go. Uh, and I love every day of it. Uh, my wife and I, Liz, uh, she was here. She's no longer here. Now she's back there. We've been uh, with Ross and Barb since before the church started uh, back in their young marriage group in Petaluma Calvary. Uh, came with the church plan on day one. Uh, I took over as the junior high pastor uh, probably six years ago. And, um, and then about a year and a half, or probably seven years ago now, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, Things changed, and I moved uh, to be the kids' pastor, which I'm going to talk about later. Uh, but for now, you know, this happens. My poor wife, she gets to go to church pretty often. And people are like, oh, and then eventually they'll, they'll find out we're married. They're like, oh, I didn't know you were married. Well, we never get to sit together, and you rarely ever see us together. So I thought this is an easy chance to get the whole family in one moment. And we realized first service, I was totally listening to God when I got dressed. I'm wearing exact same shirt, uh, which either means I heard God or I only have one nice shirt. Both may be true. Um, I also have a full-time job, which not a lot of people know. Um, when I'm not here on Sundays and Wednesdays and other times, uh, I have a more than full-time job down uh, in a secular world and Petaluma at a mid-sized company. I am the head of the information technology department nationally. Uh, so between that comp job, this job, three kids, a wife, and a house, I don't get bored. But it's an honor and a privilege to get to talk to you all today. We're going to say goodbye to my lovely family. Now we all know who they are. And we are going to close our eyes and pray because I need the Lord's help. Lord, I ask this morning that you would help me to convey your message and your word that you've put on my heart and my feeble words to these people. Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts to receive what you're saying. Lord, I, I know that you want us to know that you love us and that you like us, and that you want to be with us every day. Lord, speak to us out of your word this morning. Amen. Now, we are a Calvary Chapel. That means we go verse by verse. Today should be, I was listening to the podcast, I think today should be Acts 2. Guess what? It's not. I'm going to leave that to Pastor Ross um, because I don't want to have to follow him or go before my boss. Um, we are going to go through some of First Kings, which is really cool. It's a book that we've never done at The Rock, which is great because you haven't heard Pastor Ross teach on it, and he won't be teaching on it next week. Um, one thing that's very important that I did forget 
Um, if you are new to the rock, uh, go ahead and throw your hand up. The ushers will hand you. There's one over here, two over here. It's hands everywhere. It's hands over here, hands over here. They will give you a quick pamphlet. Just keep your hand up till they, till they find you. Uh, just talks about the rock, who we are, how we got started. There's another one on your way back, Steve. I think that's everybody. And with that, now we're going to jump into the word. We are going to talk about God's love and that God doesn't just love us. He likes us. And there is a difference. He wants to meet with us every single day. He wants to talk to us every single day. There are a lot of stories in the Bible about God meeting with people. We're going to focus on one such story. Our context today is going to take us to one of the most courageous men in the history of mankind. He single-handedly stood his ground against the, an entire nation that had walked away from the worship of Jehovah to embrace the worship of false gods. The time frame that this is in is between 850 BC and 860 BC, which means this predates the place where Pastor Adam was, or Pastor Jim was, by about 120 years. This was 120 years before God just said, okay, we're done, and he sent them off to exile, which is the equivalent of being sent to your room for a couple thousand years. Uh, they really, I mean, you really got to mess up to go in your room that long. I mean, that's a timeout. But Israel has divided into two countries at this point. There is a, this is really good. There's a northern nation. And guess what? We just call the other one. Southern. You guys are going to have to help me. I'm the kids pastor. I'm used to 50 kids going like this all the time. So when I ask you a question, you got to answer it. And I've got a bunch of candy that says you got the right answer. <laughs> First service, like some fun family over here figured it out, and they started answering questions. If I ask a question, it's not rhetorical. Okay, so the north, which is very confusing, the north is referred to as Israel or Samaria, and the south is referred to as Judah. Now, the south, more often than not, had a king that loved the Lord, um, and the north almost always had a king that didn't love the Lord. At this point, Israel is... Uh, as a whole in both nations, is not loving Jesus. The north is being ruled by King Ahab and his lovely wife, Jezebel. Um, and the south is being ruled by their daughter and son-in-law. So it's kind of a great family affair. They've got a wonderful family dynamic that we're going to look a little bit at here in a few minutes. Um, Jezebel, of course, being on the list of names you never call your daughter. <laughs> well, you, you laugh, but have you met a Jezebel or a Judas? I mean, think about it. No one's, oh, hey, Jez. So you just don't do it. So Israel is steep in idolatry, and it's important to understand that. At this point, Israel has walked away from God completely, and they are deep into the worship of Baal, Baal, or Baal, depending on what English-speaking country you live in. Um, we all seem to pronounce it differently, and we don't know exactly how they said it, uh, this guy, he's a very intimidating-looking God. Got his hand up. He, um, oh boy, he, he's the God of fertility, which is an awesome subject for a Sunday morning. Thank you, Baal. Uh, he is also the God of rain and thunder, and that's very important because God is going to directly attack Baal. Now, God likes to do that. If you look back at Egypt and the ten plagues, every plague was a direct attack against a major god in Egypt. The ninth plague being where God took the sun away. And the greatest god in Egypt was the sun god Ra. 
and Pharaoh was to be his son, essentially. So when God took that away, he was saying, not only is Ra not God, but neither is your Pharaoh, and I am God. And it's the same thing here. They believe that Baal was the maker of rain and thunder, so Elijah bursts on the scene, intimidating man that he is, with a message from God for King Ahab. He comes in, he says, you know what? This is, a, it's done. It's time that you see who God is, so I'm going to pray that it stops raining right now. So he does. These are some guts. He says, it's not going to rain. He prays, and guess what? Three and a half years, not a drop. I mean, you know, today that happens, what do we do? We truck water in. We've got abilities to do that. In their day, when there was no rain, you were in some serious trouble. So there's a severe drought that follows. Now, of course, King Ahab wasn't a big fan of Elijah at this point. So God had Elijah go off way outside of the way. And he goes way over here. And he lives by a river. And it's a cool story. God instructs the ravens to bring him breakfast. You laugh. It's, it's in the Bible. I'll read it to you. You think that's so funny. God ordered the raven to feed him meat specifically in the morning and for the evening meal, meat and bread. Every day. And he had water from the brook. And here he is just hanging out by himself with the ravens. And he meets with God there for a while until the brook dries up. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to have you go. And this is another good one. I'm going to have you travel to Zerphasis. That wasn't my microphone. That was me. I can't pronounce that. Yeah, amen, right? Hallelujah. So he went to Z, And there God brought him to a widow and her son. And they said, oh, yeah, hi, we'll grab some water for you. Here you go. What are you doing? Oh, we're about to eat our last meal and die. And Elijah said, don't worry about it. Cook it for me. <laughs> Just poor mom. Sure. And he's like, no, really, cook it for me. God, God's got a plan. So she does. She takes the last of her flour and the last of her oil, and she cooks it and gives it to him. And she goes back, and there's enough to do it again. Every day for years, they come to God and God gives them a little more bread, just like it is in our life. And we go to the word, we go to prayer every day. And through this three and a half years, Elijah learned to rely on God for everything. He didn't move unless God told him to do something. When the son died of the widow, Elijah prayed for him, and God raised him from the dead. God was building a tremendous faith in Elijah for the coming battle, massacre, the bad guys didn't really have a chance, at Mount Carmel. And that is 1 Kings 18. It's been three and a half years of no rain. Elijah comes back because God says it's time. And he sends a message to King Ahab. I want you to get 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of, hold on, I'm going to try to do it again, Asherah, and bring them all to Mount Carmel. And I want you to send out a message to all of Israel. We will not do this in secret. I want everyone to see what God is going to do. Your God versus my God. Throw down of the century. I know who wins. So I'm pretty sure this was the cloak that Elijah wore that day. <laughs> he is the most courageous man in history. So he walks up, and you've got to imagine this. 850 false prophets, all of Israel, and Elijah. And you know which side Israel was on, of course. They're rooting for Baal their personal God in their hallway. So they all come up to the mountain and he's, he gives them first choice of what animal to sacrifice and they start doing their thing. Pagans. 
And they do their dance, and the Bible says they're cutting themselves, and they're screaming. And I love Elijah, my kind of guy. He starts making fun of them. Hey, where's your God? Is he sleeping? Yell louder, wake him up. Then he says, perhaps your God is on the potty. It's in the Bible, I don't make this stuff up. Maybe your God is, where is your God? And he gives them some more time. And after about eight or so hours, Elijah says, okay, now it's my turn. Elijah takes a few minutes and he rebuilds the altar of the Lord, which had been destroyed. And he adds 12 stones, one for each of the original tribes of Israel. And then he cuts up the bull and puts it on top. And then just to really make sure that no one could say, you faked it, he has them add a few barrels of water. And he digs a big, deep trench around it. And then he says, you know what? That's not enough. Let's throw some more water on it because my God is Jehovah. And when they're done with that, he says, you know what? Let's do it a third time. A few more water. The Bible says that there was so much water that not only was everything soaked, but the entire trench was full of water. And then Elijah comes forward and he prays a fairly simple prayer to Jehovah that he would answer by fire and let everyone know who was God. And of course, we all know God is alive, as opposed to Baal, who is made of stone and fairly ugly. <laughs> Jehovah answers by fire, and he doesn't just, oh yeah, here, woo. He sends fire. It consumes the animal, the wood, the stone, and all the water. Israel, all of Israel, boom, on their knees. Jehovah's God, Jehovah's God, don't burn me. Um, they were freaking out because they knew. They knew right from wrong. They had the law. And I got to tell you what, if we were having a church service and God answered by fire, we would all, myself included, be honored. God! So I don't make fun of them because we would be in the same place. We are no better than our brothers and sisters in the word. So he takes the, uh, the prophets and has Israel take all 850 and it was really cool this morning have, uh, talking with Pastor Ross because uh, Jim uh, had just preached a message on Mount Carmel a couple days ago. And Jim and I knew that we were both going to be teaching on, on the same subject, so we were talking about it before the trip. So I asked Pastor Ross, why did he take them away from Mount Carmel to the Brook Kidron to, uh, to kill them all? And he said, oh, that's an easy answer. It's right down the side of the hill. Because, of course, he was there. Um, there's no Google Maps for that area with Street View, so I had to rely on somebody who had been there. So um, that really helped me understand a lot better why Elijah did the way he did. Now, if you are wondering, wow, that's kind of harsh, he killed everybody. The Mosaic law was that if there was a false prophet and he was proven false, you were to kill him so that he would not continue to bring false teaching to the people. And that would show the division between the true prophets and the false prophets. And that when God showed the one that was false, you were to kill them. So all 850 are killed. It's a great day. And it is. God won. And Elijah tells Ahab, rush home. Rain is coming. Your chariot's going to get stuck. Elijah, he's awesome. He prays a couple times. God send rain. No rain. God send rain. No rain. God send rain. And on the seventh time, it's a little bitty fist-sized cloud. Okay, it's going to rain. Oh, he's just this little cloud on the horizon. Okay, everybody run. The rain is coming. And, and the Bible, the, the, the language that it uses, it was rain was coming. So he ran, and God strengthened Elijah, and he outran the chariot all the way back up to uh, 
Jezreel, which, as you guys know, is just up the road, right? So we're going to pick things up in 1 Kings 19, where Ahab is just getting back to tell the wonderful Queen Jezebel what has happened. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went another day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there in his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and then he lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord, and bear in mind, the angel of the Lord is a visitation of Jesus pre-incarnation. Jesus came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God, which is another name for Mount Sinai. Um, that is by far the greatest power bar of all time. 40 days, I heard a pastor joke, if you could get a few of those, imagine the grocery bill at Costco. So Ahab runs home to fill in his wonderful wife Jezebel, and here's Ahab. He's, he's a very weak king. He's a very weak husband. He didn't stand up for his god Baal on Mount Carmel. He didn't stand up against Elijah when he put to death his personal prophets. And he doesn't stand up to the wonderful Queen Jezebel, who is one of the more evil leaders in history. Uh, in that three and a half years of the drought, she put to death all the prophets. She put to death everybody who loved Jehovah. She's just, uh, she's a real, not the girl you want to bring home to your mom. So here's Queen Jezebel. You, you could call Queen Jezebel realistically in our language in English a witch. Because think about it. She practices the occult religiously. She worshiped pagan gods and images. She personally financed the worship of Baal in Israel to replace Jehovah using funds from the royal treasury. She was just like your super evil queen. There's not a redeeming thing to Jezebel, I think, in the entire Bible. Like some people, you got, oh, like King Saul, there's all this stuff he did wrong, but he did some good stuff. Jezebel, no. So I'm going to break with tradition this morning. I can do that unless I get an email tomorrow that says I can't. Um, I only have two points. So number one, refreshing of the weary, which may or may not speak to you if you've ever been weary before. And hearing God's voice, which is something a few of us would like to do better. So refreshing the weary. Elijah was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. He didn't pray. He didn't go to the Lord. He was afraid and he ran for his life. I love the way Spurgeon puts it. Elijah failed in the very point at which he was strongest, and where, that is where most people fail. In Scripture, it is the wisest man who proves himself to be the greatest fool, just as in the meekest man, Moses, spoke hastily in bitter words. Abraham failed in his faith, and Job in his patience. 
So it was for the most courageous of all men fled from one angry woman. Does this make Elijah a bad servant of God? No. Elijah was a human just like us. James puts it this way. Well, look at this. Queen Jezebel, go away. James puts it like this. Elijah was a man with a nature like us. Elijah's like you. Elijah's like me. We are humans. We have frailties. And deep depression is one of those things that happens. This reminds us, I believe, of our friend Peter. He saw um, Jesus on the water. Peter was one of those guys that went from highs to lows. He, uh, he saw Jesus out there and he said, hey, Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to come out there. So Jesus says, come. So Peter steps out and he walks on the water and he actually walks on water. It's not like he was like sinking. He walked on actual water which is so weird to us. We're like, oh yeah, he walked on water. He walked on water. Think about it. And then he thought about it about halfway out there. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm walking on water. There's waves, there's water, there's wind. What? I can't do this. And he took his eyes off Jesus. And he immediately began to sink. Now, did Jesus let him sink? No. Now look at poor Peter. He's scared. <laughs> you guys didn't know I had all these candid shots of the old days. This is before Instagram. So, does Jesus let him drown? No, he saves him. Jesus knows that we are frail humans. We are what? We're made of dust. I mean, dust. Dust is pretty dumb. It's dust. Jesus knows that we are not smart. He doesn't refer to us as the huskies of God or the collies of God. They're two of the smartest breeds of animal. He refers to us as what? Sheep. Sheep are dumb animals. I mean, as a pastor you got to research these things once in a while when you preach. And you read these stories of sheep, and you're like, that cannot be true. There's no way that something's that dumb. But you know what? That's why God uses it. Because we, I'm going to get emails to work. Did you call everybody dumb? No, Jesus called them sheep. <laughs> I just interpreted what he said. Myself, I'm a sheep too. We're dumb. We're not smart. We lose perspective. Elijah lost God's perspective. Elijah believed that, hey, fire from heaven consumed. We killed the bad guys. Everyone's going to repent and love God. And the next day, the queen's trying to kill him. Who's there to stop him? Stop her. Nobody. All those people that, oh, Jehovah's God. Did their hearts change or did they freak out in fear because they didn't want to die because they knew they had sin? They didn't change their hearts. Elijah thought that that move on Mount Carmel would lead to a, a revival it didn't happen. God wasn't meeting him the way that he thought he should. He lost perspective. Had he failed? No. Done everything God had told him to do. Just like Peter. Peter lost perspective and he started to drown. And God saved him. And God's going to save Elijah. And God saves us when we lose perspective. I know none of you guys have ever lost perspective. I have lost perspective before. So... You know, a question that some of you may be having, because I had it too. What is a broom tree? That's a broom tree. It looks like a bunch of upside down brooms, which is why they call it, I'm just saying. You got to look these things up and you're like, oh, okay, well, that actually does make sense. Because some of the words they use and you're like, what, what is that? So Elijah finally prays when he gets to the great broom tree. He finally goes to God and he bears his soul. But he doesn't pray what you think he's going to pray. He says, okay, God, please kill me. That was the way a couple of pastors uh, I listened to when I was prepping for today. I loved that shortening of it. God, please kill me. 
because that is his prayer. Now, God always answers prayer, and I, I want to drill this in. If there's two things you learn today, this has got to be one of them. God always answers prayer. There are three answers to prayer. They are yes, no, and later. God is never busy. God is never distracted. He's never, hey, can you just text me? I'll get back to you later. He doesn't have voicemail. He is not like your earthly father and mother were. He is always ready to meet with you. He is always ready to talk. And when you talk to God, it's the beauty of him being everywhere at the same time. You get his undivided attention. Now, sometimes the answer is no. In this case, the answer was no. And that's a good thing because think about the things left in Elijah's life. He was still going to reestablish the school of prophets, which had been gone for quite a while. He would raise up Elisha, who would get a double portion of his ministry and do even more amazing things. He would ride, okay, this is pretty cool, come on. He rode to heaven in a chariot of fire. No one in the history of mankind but Elijah got to ride to heaven in a chariot of fire, and he wasn't dead. Then he comes back, it's not done. You're like, oh, he went to heaven, that's great. Okay, there's still a four and a five. Then he comes back to the Mount of Transfiguration and joins Moses and Jesus. And then, more than likely, he's one of the two witnesses that are going to call us in the middle of our message. <laughs> he's one of the two witnesses in the end times. I think you guys just went through Revelation in here. The two witnesses in the end times, more than likely, one of them is Elijah. So, is it a good thing sometimes when God says no? Yeah. Can you imagine if God had answered his simple prayer, God, please kill me? Okay. Not only would he have missed out on this, but how much do we learn from these things? that are yet to come, that are in our Bible for our edification. It wasn't as bad as Elijah thought. He had lost perspective. God wasn't doing what he thought. <sighs> he thought his ministry was a waste. You know, and, and I want to take a second. When I say the word ministry, some of you immediately, you turned your mind off because you're not in ministry. If you are saved and you call Jesus your Lord, then you are in ministry. You may not be in full-time ministry in a church setting, but God has a ministry for you with the people that you are related to and that you are connected to. So you have a ministry, and it is not for you or me to decide if your ministry was a success. It is not, I'm going to say that again, it is not for you to decide if your ministry was a success. It is for God alone to decide that. Honor God, do what he says, just leave it with him. And that was where Elijah was. Elijah believed that he had failed God royally. And he wanted to die. Now, that's a pretty deep depression, but it comes from a lack of perspective. I, I lost perspective in my life about 19 years ago. I grew up in a great Christian home with good Christian parents. My dad was a pastor for about half of my childhood. I was a Christian. I got saved when I was four. I remember it as vividly today as, as if it was yesterday but I had lost perspective like Elijah and Peter. And I know none of you have ever been there. I truly had no friends. I had tried a new church. I wasn't able to make a single connection at that new church. I was deeply depressed because I had lost perspective on my life. God wasn't meeting me the way that I thought he was going to meet me. He wasn't doing what I expected. And I was ready to die at my own hand. I was sitting in my room getting ready to go. And God spoke to me clearer that day than I have ever heard in my whole life. He told me to give him a week. And so I said, okay. So I went to sleep, which you're going to learn is a very important thing in, in this process. I went to sleep a few days later. 
I got signed up to go to a retreat at the new church, so I went ahead and went. I didn't want to go. Went ahead and went. And that first day on the four-hour bus ride to the retreat, God started to change my life. And I got some Christian friends who I stayed connected with for years. And that night, the first service, God changed my life and met me in a way that allowed me to never go to that point again. And that doesn't mean that I don't deal with depression now and then, but I will never go back to that level because I met with God, I heard his voice, and I know his will for my life is for good. And that it is enough, and he says it's enough, and I go to heaven. It's not for me to choose. On a side note, that is why it is so important that when you come to church on a Sunday or Wednesday, before, after, and break, that you get out of your chair, you get out of yourself, and you mingle with Christians. Because you don't know who's there to touch your life, and you don't know who you're there to touch. That's part of your ministry as a Christian. Now, Jeremiah 19.11 is an often quoted verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good or welfare, and not for evil, to give you a future hope. That is great, but it is only half of the story. And so often we quote this to people, but there's a second half of this thought. Then you will call upon, my, upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. This is a sweet, sweet promise from God that he, he will be found by us. There's no ands, ifs, or buts if you notice in the language there. It's very clear. If you seek me, you will find me. If you call me, I will answer. I will be found by you. Now, Elijah, we left him under the tree. Dr. God is going to prescribe something really simple. Warm bread, some water, and sleep. It is so hard to have the Lord's perspective on things when you have an empty stomach and you are weary physically. It is not a weird thing for God to uh, prescribe that. In fact, uh, Pastor David Guzik put it in such an amazing way. It really, planning for this, this service for me more than any service I've ever taught really hit me hard because I still deal with this stuff sometimes and hearing these other pastors talk about it ministered to me. And what Pastor Guzik said was sometimes the most spiritual thing a weary servant of God, that's us, can do is sleep and rest a weary body. It is so important that you remember that in these busy times today. We all get discouraged. Great dis- discouragement comes out of, again, a loss of perspective. And I would ask you today if you've lost your perspective. God wants to give you his perspective. The right perspective keeps us dependent on God. Elijah came out to God. He sought God. He got alone. He prayed. Prayer isn't something that we just read out of a book We just pray the same thing every day. God needs us to be real. If we want God to meet with us, then we need to meet with him in reality. And for Elijah, the reality was, God, please kill me. If he had come to God and say, hey, how you doing, God? Love you. It's been a rough day. Amen. Would God have been able to work in his life? No. He had to be real with God. If this is where you're at, then just be honest. God, please kill me. I can't take this anymore. Be real with God. He will be real with you. He's promised in his word. The valleys in life, like Elijah is going through, they're very important. There are things that we learn in the victories, and there are things that we learn in the valleys. There's time for both, the Bible says. And God uses both to make us more like his son. 
God is always there to meet us in the valley. The valley also helps us to get humble and makes it easier sometimes to meet with God and bear our souls to him. I believe that if you were to put that sentence and what we've read into a mathematical equation, it would tell you that the answer is if you keep yourself humble and keep yourself real with God, there may be less valleys. So take that for what it's worth. As a side note, something that really was a chain through so many of the commentaries and so many of the pastors that I read is something that I want to remind all of you. And it's kind of cool that I get to do it because it would be a little different coming from the senior pastor. But church leaders deal with this too. Pastors go through valleys. And it's important that we let pastors go through the valleys just like you need to go through valleys. Because in those valleys is where God deals with us in ways that he can't deal with us in the victories. God hasn't abandoned us when we're in the valleys, but he's there waiting and listening if we're ready. So Elijah had rested. Now we're on to point two, hearing God's voice. So often people come to pastors, pastor, how do I hear God's voice? Guess what? I'm going to tell you. It's actually really easy. He's three, I'm kidding. So Elijah has slept. He's eaten. He's run 40 days to Mount Horeb. And we are going to pick up here, verse 8. And he arose, he ate, he drank, and he went in the strength of that food, 40 days, 40 nights, the Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, oh, God, I have been so jealous for you, the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword, and only I serve you. And now they seek my life to take it away. And God says, you know what? Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great, wind, uh, a great strong wind tore through the mountains and broke the pieces of the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him, and it said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Same question, and we're going to stop it there. Deuteronomy 8.3, and Jesus again later when he's being tempted by Satan, reminds us that the Israelites went out to get their manna every day, but that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, what he says there is man does not live like by bread alone. So don't starve yourself. You've still got to eat the bread, but... We need God's word. And that was where Elijah was now. He had food, he had had water, he had had sleep. Now he needed a fresh encounter with the Lord. Do you have to go to Mount Horeb or church to hear from God? No. It's a question I get from people all the time. You do not have to be at church to hear from God. You don't have to go to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is a special place. God had met them there lots of times. That's Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, all that. God speaks through some great and terrible things sometimes. Can God speak through the wind and the storm? Well, yeah, he did it when he met at Mount Sinai. He spoke through a great cloud of thunderous sound. Can he make the earth shake when he wants to say something? Jesus died on the cross, and when he did, there was a great earthquake. And can God speak through fire? Well, there's a little incident referred to as the burning bush. So God can speak through fire. But does God do these things every day? No. When God speaks, is it like a trance? Yes, in 500 feet, they're like now, they're rising 200 feet, 
So God doesn't talk to me like that, but you know what does a creepy GPS? So uh, I love the way that, that Pastor Chuck Smith says it. Often we miss the voice of God because we are looking for God to speak in a thunderous sound or a mystic, creepy way. Or in ways like he did on Mount Carmel in the previous chapter. Or if we look for God hoping that he will lead us in a trance like our GPS and we'll turn on autopilot and God will just drive us. That's not how it works. Now, I had a really great illustration here. I took it out of my notes. I'm going to tell you guys a story from my own life from a couple years ago when I was not sure I was hearing from God. About two years ago, we were on a pastor's retreat down at Hume Lake, and Pastor Ross challenged all the pastors to do something that I had never done. We were to go into the woods, separate on the facility, no Bible, no singing, no worshiping, no asking God for things, and no praying. Just be quiet. It's like Elijah, just be quiet. And so we did, and I went out, and I found a rock, and it was beautiful next to the lake, and I waited, looked around, and I waited, and I played with rocks, and I waited, and I was like, well, okay, I'm going to be the only pastor that goes back, hey, yeah, well, I found some rocks, and I waited some more, and then the word of the Lord came to me, and I felt God talk to me, and I felt God tell me something, and it was so off the wall that I was pretty sure it was the extra helping of meatballs Adam and I had shared the night before, they were really good. Uh, and I shouldn't have had them, but I wasn't sure if it was that or something else. And so I asked the Lord, Lord, please confirm this so that I know this is you. And I also felt that I should call my wife. I had said something in the morning on the phone that had upset her, and I felt like I should call and apologize. So um, I walked across the campus, which you've ever been to Hume Lake, that would mean something to you. It's a huge campus. To find a phone that was alone, called Liz, apologized. You could tell I was pretty upset. And she said, you know, what's going on? So I told her I felt like God was instructing me after 18 years of junior high ministry that I was done and that I'd be moving into a new direction and that, that, that direction would be kids. And uh, that wasn't something that was ever on my mind. I, I, if anybody who knew, has known me for a few years knows that I, God told me to do junior high when I was a kid. I did junior high for 18 years. And I figured I'd probably do it till I died unless God said otherwise. Guess what? God said otherwise. So my wife, I love her, she says, oh yeah, I know. I've felt that for like six months, but I just didn't know how to tell you. I said, okay, great. Well, obviously I'm hearing from God. It was a little awkward because I was going to have to go meet with the pastors. And of course, we had a kid's pastor. So it's like, what do you walk in? Hey, God, I'm supposed to have your job. <laughs> so, you know, I'm crying and you snot and the whole thing. Because I've just, fall I, I have fallen apart because this was, you know, this was, the only thing I had known in ministry for 18 years. I'm only 35. 18 years is a long time. So I go back and I meet with the pastors, and I'm like, oh, no, I'll go last. You guys go first. And Pastor Roger shares that from his heart, he feels like it's time for him to step out for a while and spend some time with his family, and he's getting ready to go to school and start a new job. And I'm like, oh, well, hey, I heard from God too. <laughs> now I know and so I shared, and the pastors, everybody was like, wow, that, that's totally God. So I came back and transitioned, and here I am, a year and a half later. I love working with kids. I miss the junior hires, but that's not what God has asked me to do right now. Uh, should he ever change his mind or ask me to do both? There. Junior high is one of those things you just can't get rid of in your blood. I encourage you to meet some of our junior hires. They are amazing Christians. 
So I didn't go to my wife to get a confirmation. I went to my wife because I felt like I should apologize. But in reality, God was steering me to her, one, so that we could be united, and two, so that she could confirm what I was hearing from God. God directed me, but I thought I was doing something else. And that's often how God meets. I love the way that Pastor Damien Kyle puts it out at at, uh, Calvary Chapel Modesto. God dwells and works with us in the ordinary more than the extraordinary. I don't know if it's you guys, but the last time I called down fire from heaven was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm just saying. God wants to talk to you. God does want to talk to us. He has things to say, but we need to be listening. Back to Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. They're for good. Then you need to call on me and I will answer. If you call, I will come. If you pray, I will hear. If you seek, you will find me. That's a pretty darn good promise, and it's in black and white in the Bible. You say, Pastor Josh, how do we seek him? Well, that's a great question, brother. The Bible is God's word, and it's his primary message to us, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Well, we need to hear it every day. The Bible is God's primary message. It's not his only way that he talks to us, but it's a very important way. If you are not in the word on a regular basis, you are really going to have a hard time hearing God. Number three... God often speaks to us through Christians. Don't isolate like Elijah. Church is not optional if you want to be a Christian with a good relationship with God. You need to be at church. That doesn't mean you don't skip once in a while for a vacation or something. But church isn't an optional thing where you just come once in a while. You need to be interconnected with Christians. That's the way the body of Christ works. When you're not here, we're missing something of Christ's expression in this church. When you're not here, you're missing something of Christ's expression in our life that might be for you. Four, God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. You hear him with better practice. And the best way to explain this to you would be if I, I'm not going to do it, but if I took a married couple, been together for a while, and I put the husband over there, I put the wife over here, and I took three random ladies from the church and had all of them say, I love you, honey, one at a time. He would be able to tell which one's his wife. Why? Because he knows her voice because he listens to her voice every day. The more you spend in God's word and just close your mouth when you're praying and listen, the better you're going to get at hearing him. And we have to do it every day, just as the Israelites had to go gather manna every day. It is, a, it is a picture for us of the word. Manna is like the word. It also means, what is it? It, it was an odd little thing that God put out there, but it's so important to us because for us it's the same way. I made a challenge about six or seven years ago on a Sunday night youth service to all of the youth group that if they sat down and read just one psalm, the psalm of the day, which is a really easy math, today's May 26th, so what would you read? You guys are awesome. You know, first service is wrong. You guys really are quick. (laughs) So you read some, and then tomorrow, what would you read? Psalm 27. Challenge them to do that for 30 days. And that if God, they didn't, didn't change their life and change their relationship with God, to just close their Bible and put it away and quit. And that day, a young man took me at my word without telling me, which I love. I, I love that much more than, the, oh yeah, oh yeah, and then you don't do it. God prefers the person who says no, and it goes away and then changes their mind and does it because they obeyed. He went away and did it, and it changed his life. He came back a month later, changed his life. Today, He's out in the mission field for the Lord. I make the same challenge to you. Start today. When you go home, warm food in your stomach, 
Maybe a little nap and get up and read Psalm 26. It's a, it's a handful of verses. We're talking four minutes of your day. Do that for a month, and I guarantee you it's going to radically change your life. It'll change how you relate to your spouse. It will change how you relate to your kids, how you relate to your boss. It will change your outlook or your perspective on life. Should you be depressed or discouraged? Because you will be meeting with God. Just open it up. Quick prayer. God, please speak out of your word. Read it, close it, and go about your day. Do that for 30 days. God will change your life, and it will never be the same. So Oswald Sanders, a guy who's he's been dead for a long time, but he was an incredible man of God. He made a comparison from Mount Sinai versus Calvary. The whispers from Calvary are infinitely more potent than the thunder of Sinai to bring hearts to repentance. That still small voice, that's the Holy Spirit talking inside us. Now in conclusion, and I really mean conclusion, I only do one, so you guys are safe. Elijah went from his greatest victory to the next day to his greatest failure, but he learned from both. And God taught him with the high and the low, and God changed him and in fact, changed his ministry through this low, and his ministry radically changed after this. God wants to use the heights and the valleys. Elijah fell into a deep depression and needed God to help out, him out of it because he had lost perspective. Sleep and food are the first two things that God had for him, but he also needed to reconnect with God and get a fresh perspective from God. God showed him the tremendous power of the earthquake and the wind and the fire, and then the contrast of his small whisper. And that was where Elijah realized, you know, and I can just picture him, ah! And he wraps his face because God is there. You think about that. God is there. Think about this today. Presence of the Lord, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He has time on a Sunday to hang out with us here. God wants to meet with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to be found by you. All we have to do is give him a chance. I don't think other than Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, outside of John 3, 16, I don't believe that there is a sweeter promise in all of the Bible. The maker of the universe, the creator of life, says that he has time for me. I don't even have time for me, but God has time for me. He isn't like your earthly mothers and fathers. Like I said, never busy, never distracted. God is there if you'll talk. And remember, prayer is a two-way conversation which means you pray and then you stop. You let God talk. Prayer is not just us talking. You need to stop and let the Lord answer. Give him a chance to get a word in. But he promises that he will be found by you if you try, period. You may not answer with an earthquake or fire or wind, but he will answer with that still small voice. And he will talk to you. If you are here today and you are somebody who deals with depression or heavy discouragement, I'd encourage you during the final song uh, to go over to our ministry team under the cross and pray. I would encourage you when you're done with that prayer to go home, have a warm meal, take a nap, get up and read Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 26 and ask God to meet with you and let God begin to heal you and bring you out of that discouragement and that de de depression. He can give you a new perspective. Now, there are others here today, you hear me talking about hearing God's voice, and you're like, wow, I want to hear God's voice better too. You know, I could say, let's raise our hand if, if we want to hear God's voice better. I could say, let's, I'll, I'm going to pray for you. But the reality is, is that I can't help you hear God's voice better. I can't give you a magic phrase. I can't give you a special hearing piece to hear God's voice better. 
You have to take it up yourself. Go home, open your Bible for a few minutes and say, God, please talk to me and just read it, close it and be faithful for a few weeks to do that. And I guarantee you that the Lord will meet with you and he will change your life.